Well, here we go, New Hope Radio. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to take a look at what I think is perhaps the most known and impacting of all sermons ever preached by any man. What do you think that sermon is? I'll tell you who preached it. Jesus himself. Oh, yeah. And he did not so much preach the Sermon on the Mount to show the way of salvation. You know why he preached it? To show the way of righteousness. People need to know two things. Number one, how to get to heaven. But number two, how to live while you're waiting to go to heaven. (laughs) How to live while you're here on the earth. How you doing with that? How am I doing with that? Ah, Good and bad days. The section we're going to look at in the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes. And in this section, his sermon gives the ways of blessedness. It's good to learn the Beatitudes. Two reasons. Number one, show us how to live now and to bring joy through being blessed. Who doesn't want to be blessed, right? Blessed means happy, but more than that. To be well off, fortunate, supreme. It's the word makarios. Jesus is going to use that word quite a bit in this sermon. And you know why? Because he wants us to have that blessed joy. So let's take a look. Now, let's get the background for the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest of all sermons. Jesus lived in a day when most people were very poor, they certainly were, and they were oppressed. The Jewish people were in bondage to the Romans. So, he contrasts the new way with the old way. And then he goes on to list nine ways to find blessedness. So Jesus is saying, listen, these might be nine circumstances where you're really struggling, but you can find blessedness in each and every one. So I'm going to set it up and run through the Beatitudes, and then we'll come back and talk about them. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Try to put yourself in that place. Rewind 2,000 years, and here we are in our robes and our sandals. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them. And he was saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, oh, they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, and persecute you, 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer any good for anything, except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And you know what will happen? I'll glorify your Father in heaven. So that was the sermon. And the Beatitudes, perhaps the most famous part of the most famous sermon. So back in chapter 5, verse 1 of the book of Matthew, why did Jesus speak this sermon? Because it says he saw the crowds. And when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, does that mean the twelve, or does that mean the many? I don't know. Maybe the many, I would think. I would think this would be a message for all people to hear. One person said, the Sermon on the Mount is, in effect, King Jesus's inaugural address, explaining what he expects of members of his kingdom. Wow, we could call it kingdom life. How do you live in the kingdom of God while you're on the earth? Abide in the Beatitudes. Jesus often, as other rabbis did, would teach standing or walking. But when a teacher sat down, it meant he was speaking in a very official way. So it's interesting how when Matthew recorded this, he was very specific on setting up the scene. He said, and Jesus sat down. Now, he didn't have to say that, but he did, because there was an intention to it. We speak of the professor's chair. When the Pope speaks from his chair, it's called ex cathedra. And if people believe at that moment he's speaking for God. So Jesus went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Now, why did Matthew say that? Why did he say he opened his mouth? Because he wants people to understand this is not just said. He didn't just say or teach, but this phrase means that he gave a very weighty saying. It's used when a person is speaking from their heart. So what Jesus is going to say is coming from his innermost being. You could say it's the most important thing he could say. And he began to teach them. And that's an imperfect tense, meaning that it's not a one-time sermon. But these are things that Jesus would often say continually and habitually. We could call this the official teaching of Jesus. It's the sum total of everything else he taught to his disciples. So, if you really want to learn, you got to get close and you got to stay close to Jesus. That's what disciples do, don't they? They get close and they stay close. So let's take a look at these Beatitudes one by one. Verse 3, blessed, and maybe you can identify 
with any of these situations. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word blessed, the word means happy, but more than happy. Because happiness is an emotion, often independent, or dependent, I should say, on outward circumstances. Oh, the weather's nice, I'm happy. Oh, my car's running great, I'm happy. Oh, I got asked to the dance, I'm happy. You know, it's dependent on outward things. But here, blessedness refers to the ultimate well-being, distinctive spiritual joy of those who share in the salvation of the kingdom of heaven. It's an inner joy, so to speak, not based on outward circumstances. Okay. Now, I might use the word happiness as I go through this, but I'm not talking about overt happiness on situations. I'm talking about the happiness that's found on the inside because you're abiding in what God says. Remember, Jesus lived when the Jewish people were poor and they were oppressed by the Romans. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the word are, it's not in the original language. It was inserted to make the English more understandable. But the statement is more of an expression than it is a statement. It could read like this. Oh, the blessedness of the poor in spirit. It's an expression of being rather than a future hope. Psalm 1 says, how blessed is the man. And again, we would read it. Oh, the blessedness of of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Okay? So it's a state of being. Blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. This is the one that has absolutely nothing at all in spirit. They're aware of their deficiency. They know that they're helpless, and they have to put their whole trust in God because there's nothing else. You know, you might have been there in your life and didn't like it, But Jesus is saying, wait a minute, that's a state of blessedness for you. Who alone can give you what you need more than God can? For such is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This mourning is a grieving. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be the grieving over this broken world or grieving over their own sin, sorrow that they find themselves in. But in that sorrow, you know what they find? The joy of God. It's the one who can find beauty in darkness. Yes, there are dark circumstances in life, but if we look closely, you'll find beauty there, because in that spot is Jesus. In verse 5, blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. The gentle are those that are humble, mild. The word means not to take something by force. In Matthew 21, it speaks of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. It was his character. Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the beast of burden. Jesus came not to take his kingdom by force, but he meekly waited for it to be given him by the Father. He knew how to wait. Jesus was a patient man. Oh, he was patient with the devil. He was patient with the Romans. 
He was patient with his followers. He was a patient person. So you could say, the inner joy of the person, of the patient one, he's in no rush. And the whole earth belongs to him, but he's not striving to get it. He's not. He knows how to wait. See, when you strive and and you're impulsive, I can't say that's really the timing of God. We need to learn to wait. In verse 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Oh, hunger and thirst to crave and to thirst for. This is a deep craving for spiritual blessings. Happy is the one with a spiritual appetite and hunger for the blessings of God, for he has found true fulfillment, a true satisfaction. You know, there are many, yes, born-again Christians today, but they're not hungry for God. They're not craving God. And maybe because they're getting by and they're doing okay, so, you know, or maybe they're struggling so much, they think it's hopeless. But I'll tell you what, blessedness goes to the one that has an appetite for God. You thirst for righteousness. You thirst for what God has for you. In verse 7, he said, Oh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Who are the merciful? Those that are compassionate as well as merciful. They can feel what others feel. And they show compassion. Because, you see, those are the ones that will know, here it comes, the mercy of God. You want to know the mercy of God? Then be merciful to others. Mercy comes from feeling what another person feels. And what we give to others, God will give to us. Yes, we will reap what we sow. In verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the beatitude of self-examination. This is another one that I think a lot of folks would avoid at times. Self-examination, you know why? Might not like what you see. (laughs) Oh, no, that can't be me. Well, yes, it is. You know, the mirror doesn't lie. You look in the mirror, yeah, that's, that's me. Well, self-examination, you know what? It's important. And just like when you look in the mirror, you can make adjustments. When you have self-examination, hey, you can make adjustments. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Because why? When you make the adjustments, your heart becomes clear and clean. You can see. Oh, you can see a way you never saw before. It takes a washed window to see the beauty of the outside. When the window's dirty, you don't see that much. But you wash the window. Oh, it's beautiful out there. It takes a clear heart to see the beauty of God. We need to examine our hearts at times and and wash away all the chaff and all the stuff that gets in the way. And we will see God. Oh, joyful is the one with pure motives and keeps his heart clear and clean. Because now we can see God. And now he can see the way God sees. And isn't that important? To have a divine perspective toward life. You know when I get into trouble? When I have my own human perspective. Oh man, 
backfires every time. But when I work on getting God's divine perspective, oh, that's the right way to look at it. That's the correct thing. And we have to work at that. We have to keep our heart clean and clear and right. And then in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Oh, the world needs these folks. We need peacemakers. And they will be called sons of God. Now, what is a peacemaker? A person that is peaceable. A peaceful person. We like them, don't we? We need them. Not only is this individual peaceful, but they know how to make peace with others. And when you do that, you look like God's child. Because that's what God did, didn't he? God sent Jesus, and Jesus made peace with us through the cross. And now we're at peace with God. And let's face it, conflicts are realities. Oh, we know that. But you want, if you want to look like a child of God, work for peace. Let peace be the outcome of the conflict. Peace is hard. It takes work. You know what Paul said in Romans fourteen nineteen. We pursue the things which make for peace. We pursue them and the building up of one another. That is, that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of darkness, knocking down, destroying, um, dividing. That's the kingdom of darkness. That's the work of the devil to divide, to conquer. The work of God to make one, unity, to pursue peace, to build up one another. And you'll be called a child of God. It's because we look like God. We don't give the devil a little space to work in our hearts. Sometimes he only needs a little space, right? And he'll take over. So some of the things that we can work toward to help us to look like children of God, right? Here they are. Let's really work on these things. Caring and compassion. Hospitality. Edification. That means building up other people. Forgiveness. Giving people wobble room. Boy, I see that missing even in Christianity today. We all need wobble room. We all don't say it the right way all the time. We all don't do it the right way all the time. So we give people wobble room, right? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. We're all flawed. We're not perfect yet. Sometimes we get so ticked off because one statement was made and we didn't like the way it came across and we forget, ooh, that is another member of the body of Christ. That could be the finger of Jesus. That could be the toe or the foot of Jesus. And what I don't want to do is step on it. No, I don't. Let the devil step on it. But I'm not. So you see, we need peacemakers today. And another thing to work on, discern the body of Christ. When you discern the body of Christ, you realize the people that belong to God, these are the ones that Jesus, yeah, he loves all people, but these are, this is his bride. Woo! It's his bride. 
he has an even more intimate love for those that he has, for, the, for his bride than he does for those that are lost. He loves all. Oh, but he loves his bride so personally and so intimately. And that's us, New Testament believers. Now, <clears throat> here is where it costs something to follow Christ. Verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, not because they're jerks, but for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what that means? Bad news that ends with good news. What's the bad news? Persecuted. That's bad news. What's the good news? Heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And why are they persecuted? For the sake of righteousness, godly suffering. They're doing the right thing in their suffering. They're following after Christ in their suffering. This has to do with people all over the world that are being penalized because they love Jesus in their heart. They're arrested. They're put in concentration camps. They're tortured. They're killed. Their churches are burnt down. But even some of you, you go to work and co-workers might mock you. Why? Because you love Jesus. That's all it takes. I'm like, are people that insecure? That they have to say negative things about you because you love the Lord? I guess they are. But yours is the kingdom of heaven. Don't ever forget that. Joyful is the one who suffers for the cause of Christ. And by the way, you're already experiencing the Christ life. Because the, the Christ life is oftentimes a life of suffering. Verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So you can find comfort in being identified with Jesus. Why? Because they did it to him. So you're in good company, okay? If your character is assassinated, you're in good company. That is the Christ life. So in verse 12, here's the outcome. Rejoice and be glad. Oh, for your reward in heaven is great. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you're in good company. So identify with other godly people. You're not the first one this happened to. It's been going on for thousands of years. So maintain your distinction. We are distinct from this world. And we are distinct in this world. So we're not going to behave like this world. Jesus said, hey, listen, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes tasteless, what good is it? You throw it out on the sidewalk. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. You don't light a lamp and hide it, cover it, put it under a bushel. No, you put it on a stand so everybody can see it. So everybody benefits from the light. You realize that you, being a child of God, are a benefit to people in the world. Shine for God. That's what Jesus is saying. Shine for God. You know, it takes a dark situation for the light to shine brightly. So when you find yourself in a dark situation, shine. Shine. Don't go running under the bed. 
shine brighter and brighter. Jesus said, listen, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see good, your good works. And you know what happens? They glorify your Father who is in heaven. You bring glory to God when you can shine in a dark place. We do good deeds, but not for our own honor. We do good deeds to glorify God. You know what the Apostle Peter said? Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, they're going to be convicted. They'll say, oh, I made a mistake. So we are all called to a different life. In this life, we can experience the blessedness of God. And as we saw in the Beatitudes, many of those blessednesses, if that's a word, are found in adverse circumstances. We were made for this. We were made for adversity. Because it's in adversity we shine for God. We make peace. We give mercy. We show love. It's in adversity. We look like children of God. So now that we look at adversity, we see it differently. We see adversity as something that, okay, it's a reality, but it's my opportunity to test on it, to show my faith. Yeah, my faith will be tested, but to show my faith and to bring glory to God. And God promises, promises me these states of blessedness in these times of adversity. Oh, we got to look to him. Keep looking to him. That's not the time we turn our eyes from Jesus. That's the time we turn our eyes to Jesus. And there's a beautiful song we sing. We turn our eyes to Jesus. And the most important time to do that is in times of adversity. Hey, thank you for coming along today. Next time, we're going to take a look at the law and the Christian life. Are they compatible? How do they go together? Do they? Don't they? What do I do? What's a Christian to do? We'll find out next time right here on New Hope Radio. Hey, listen, sign up for the Hope Club podcast. Go to iTunes, hit subscribe, Spotify, hit follow. It's the Hope Club podcast. Great way to spend some time driving to work, driving home, at lunch, sitting in the waiting room, whatever it is. Get the Word of God every day, because we're here every day, and we want you to get it. Send me an email, newhoperadio, the number seven, at gmail.com. Tell me what you're thinking. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.